All right. Well, what I was going to talk about today is we're having some hot summer days recently, um, reminiscent of when I lived in Arizona before this and how fun the summers were. Um, really, you know, down there, um, heat exhaustion and kind of heat-related illnesses were a pretty common occurrence. Not always in the peak of summer, unless, you know, people were visiting from out of town or, you know, some big kind of, uh, you know, athletic event or some kind of event where it kept people outside more than they were accustomed to. It's usually kind of more in the early summer kind of transition period because people haven't really acclimatized themselves yet. And so that's one thing that's important to remember with these is you can acclimatize yourself to heat really, I mean, more than a lot of people realize, but it often does take two to three weeks. So uh, when people would be visiting from out of town or kind of some of those other circumstances and when we tend to see a rise of more heat related illnesses. So, I mean, we can definitely still see it, you know, especially uh, with some of the temperatures we've had here recently. Um, and so I think it's just good to review a couple of things with that. Um, first off with heat related illnesses, never give Tylenol. If somebody comes in hot because of a heat related thing, Tylenol is not a helpful thing. So just ignore that. Um, and then there's kind of a spectrum of different things we can see. On one end, there's kind of more of the prickly heat or malaria rubra that, you know, kids tend to get more often, but anybody can get. Um, neurotic parents might start rubbing lotions and everything else in there. And that's going to make it worse uh, just because they're basically blocked ducts that are just kind of, you know, getting inflamed and irritated. It gets, it gets that way. Um, because the, the you know, body's trying to compensate, vasodilates get some of that blood out to the periphery, hoping to kind of cool some of that off, and then it's going to cause some blockage in there. Same kind of reason that people can get edema from just the heat itself. And so a lot of these things are really just removing from the heat, keeping the skin dry, and then things will resolve themselves pretty quickly. Heat cramps might require a little bit more as far as people tend to get a lot of uh, muscle cramps, particularly in the big muscle groups. Um, oral hydration is often enough for these patients, but... Um, very typical that they might need something else, but oral hydration with more than just water, you want some of the kind of the uh, salt electrolyte-based solutions like Gatorade. Um, and then as we move on, heat syncope and heat exhaustion sound very similar. There is kind of a, you know, a difference between those. Heat syncope is usually just the pass out, return to you know, normal level of consciousness, normal temperatures, kind of the, the big distinguishing factor. Heat syncope, you know, temperatures maybe up to 104 can't even have some maybe mild brief alteration of mental status, but shouldn't be anything significant because um, that's kind of the, the next or kind of the more severe end uh, you know, of the spectrum, which is actual heat stroke. Um, patients may throw out, the, you know, I think I have heat stroke or, you know, kind of use that term a lot. Um, medically, heat stroke is a much different process. I mean, you know, alteration in mental status is the big defining factor with that. So if somebody tells you they're, they're having heat stroke, they're not. Um, but, you know, temperature usually above 104 or, you know, elevated temperature. Um, the other kind of classic thing that may or may not be there is that they stop sweating. Just they, they've gotten to that point where they're not producing any more sweat. Nausea, vomiting, pretty common occurrence. And again, the other big distinguishing factor with heat stroke versus heat exhaustion or some of those others is the alteration of mental status, but other end organ dysfunction. So, as you, know, I mean, you should get pretty comprehensive blood work, even consideration of CAT scan. There can be cerebral edema. There can be you know liver failure, other organs that start to go down with that. So, heat stroke is a real emergency something we need to address and uh, you know primarily other than hydration rapid cooling is something that you want to instigate we were kind of set up for that i mean we had you know just just things on hand that we here we might need to scram a little bit more we also had a uh, burn center immediately adjacent to our er where they kind of had a big ice bath that we could use you know from time to time if we had to but really the most effective means of cooling somebody quickly is if you can you know just undress the patient even get it kind of a mist on there and a fan you can cool somebody off pretty quickly Ice packs to the groin, the axilla can work, and then in extreme cases, if you really wanted or could not cool them down, I mean, there are, you know, you can do thoracotomy and lavage and, I mean, or I mean, a chest tube and, uh, you know, lavage or um, 
bladder irrigation with ice cold waters, but very, very rarely, especially here, I think, would we ever have to do anything like that. So I think that's about it for today. Any questions you guys have? We could talk about burns another time. All right.